if you wouldn't mind a little bit of Bethel influence here tonight, um, if we can just quick pray. Quick pray. That, that sounds bad, doesn't it? It's a good quick pray, but it's going to be a quick pray. So let's pray. Father God in heaven, it's so easy to open up our Bibles. Doesn't take much effort at all. But who can open the heart of men? It's only you. And so, Father, it's our prayer and desire that as we open up our Bibles, you would be the one opening up our hearts and opening up our eyes to see the beautiful truths of our most beautiful Savior. So speak to us, Father. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight we want to look at uh, the broad theme, if you will, of nearer, still nearer. And if you look at your bulletins through the songs that we're going to be singing, you'll never guess where I got my sermon title from uh, for this afternoon's service. Yes, I got it from that hymn, that hymn that we sing, that hymn that no doubt is beloved as we, we cry out to the Lord and, and pray that that we might be drawn nearer, still nearer to our Lord and our God. And of course, that, that prayer makes all kinds of sense when you recognize what we are and who we are by nature. By nature, we are at a distance from our God, and we're good with that. We're good with that. Spiritually, we, we have that natural inclination to be far from God, but what we experience spiritually, we also, in a sense, see physically. We're not always the kind of people that like to cozy up to the person next to us, especially if that person is a stranger to us. We don't necessarily like to be near people. Like We, we were mastering social distancing long before that was ever even a thing. And then every once in a while, we see it in our church, right? The, the ushers ushering down the center aisle, and you know, you had Johnny in front, and he's all big man on campus in the family because he's leading the family. You know, he's going to sit in the pew, and then he like, kind of marches into the pew till he realizes now he has to sit next to Mrs. Smith. And now all of a sudden, little Johnny ain't so big and boy is like, Mom, you take that spot. I'll just sit between you and Dad, right? Because we don't necessarily like being next to people people that we don't necessarily know. And if that's true for strangers, that's especially true for strangers that don't look right. People that aren't like us. Mrs. Smith, maybe she's like us. But that's especially true for people who are not like us. My wife and I just got back from Florida vacation, and uh, we had a wonderful time. We ended up leaving um, earlier than we thought we were going to leave. Um, uh, her mother ended up having a heart attack and was in the hospital. And so we were going down to Florida already, not to visit them, but we thought maybe we should try and leave early. We'll go, we'll visit them. Tried to find a hotel, and, and we could not find a hotel to save our lives. There, there's one hotel that we could find that we've since dubbed Motel 666 because we, we, we got there, and it was the only place that we could find. We, we got there, and it was already a little bit suspect to us because um, there were security guards in full tactical gear, mind you, um, patrolling the parking lot. Like, oh, this doesn't quite look right. And then as we make our way to our room, I kid you not, um, there 
what appeared to be uh, prostitutes um, outside their, their door were like, oh no, where, where are we right now? And um, so we, we go to our room, and our room, to say that our room was dirty would be an understatement of the, the, the year. And um, so, okay, shut the door, deadbolt the door, do everything you need to do to the door. My wife says, why don't you take that chair that's over there and shove it up against our door? So I, I proceed to take the chair and I put it against the door. Again, kid you not, I'm not making this up. There was a pentagram scratched into the wood veneer of the chair that I'm pushing up against the door in a hotel room. So we proceed to go to bed, fully clothed, mind you, because the, the beds are not clean. So we go to bed, fully clothed. We wake up a couple hours later to dogfighting that's taking place in one of the rooms that will not stop. So we get up at 4.30, and we cannot leave quick enough. We're out of there. Well, nothing to do with it. We had two nights booked there. I'm like, I don't care if they checked me another night. We're not, we're not going back there. That didn't feel safe. That didn't feel right. That didn't feel good. You know, nothing but the best for my wife. Just where I booked a hotel for us to stay. Awesome. Good job, Jason. And, and, and I say all of that, right? To, to use that as a metaphor. Of the world in which we live. The world in which we live, right, with, with, with the darkness and the bleakness and the meanness of, of where we live. We live in motel death. And everything about us says, I want nothing to do with that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to stay there. I don't need a second longer than I have to be there. And frankly, I'm not even going to be there longer than I promised I was going to stay there. We're out of here. And you would all go, yeah, like what were you thinking going there in the first place? Didn't you read the Google reviews? I did read the Google reviews, by the way, and it wasn't that bad. So, like what were you doing there? We all understand, right? Leave, go, makes sense. Our Savior came into the mess of this world willingly into the mess and the death of our lives willingly and freely to save us and redeem us, to be like us, to redeem us. He didn't say, hmm, I'm not going there. I don't like being near those people. They're not like me. I am holy. They're not holy. I'm clean. They're unclean. I am creator. They are creation. Our Savior in His humility stoops to our weakness, comes into our death. Because you're His bride. And He would go to the greatest length and the deepest death to save you to love you, to find you. Me? I want her out of that hotel. No, I don't want to stay any longer. They're broken people. They're messed up people. I don't want to be around them. Mm. That kind of hurts. That pinches. Jesus, broken, messed up, that's where I'm going. 
And I say all of this because of what we find in Hebrews 2. So if you haven't turned there yet, Hebrews chapter 2 is where I, I want to turn your attention with all that by way of introduction. Hebrews chapter 2, originally, I think I put in the bulletin, verse 5. Let's just skip down to verse 14, because that's really what we're going to be looking at this afternoon. Verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who was the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered when tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted so i want to i want to build on a statement and and so i just want to first of all start with with just two words and i want you to see from our text that Jesus was made ready. Now we're going we're gonna to build on this into a fuller sentence, right? But, but I want you to first of all see that he was made ready. He was made ready by taking on nearness. In our text, we read that he was made ready. Right? We've been talking about nearness. Jesus was made ready by taking on nearness. And I just want you to pause and consider that, right? He takes on nearness. He doesn't just approach us. That's not the gospel. He approaches us. He becomes us, sin accepted, but he becomes us. In other words, his nearness is not just proximity, it's physicality. This morning in our congregation, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and, and I use this as our, as our passage uh, for our Lord's Supper celebration. And our Lord's Supper celebration is a celebration of the proximity of Jesus in his physicality. Because we lift up the bread, we say, this is his body, it's been broken for you. This is his blood, it was shed for you. Because he had a body, and he had blood. Right? He has come near to us by taking on us. And so it's one thing to get close to something, but it's next level. To put it on. Some of you probably have, have pets. I, 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 have a, I have a dog. I love my dog. I don't always love it when my dog's near me at like 2 o'clock in the morning saying, I think I saw a bunny rabbit outside. But, but okay, by and large, I don't mind my dog being next to me or near to me or me being near to my dog. It's all cool. It's all good. But I'm not going to become a dog in love for my dog. It's a dog. And I'm not a dog. I'm not going to become a dog. You realize what we are celebrating in the gospel. The creator became creation. And that's where even me going, well, I'm not going to become a dog. I wouldn't become a dog. You're like, yeah, no, no doubt. I'm not going to become a dog either. But that analogy breaks down, right? Because that's one creature becoming another creature. Okay, you go from crown of creation to not the crown of creation, but 
but still it's creation, creation. You can't even begin to grasp what Jesus has done for us. He was made ready by taking on nearness, by taking on us. He's done the unthinkable. Why did he do that? Well, the text tells us, right? Since therefore children share in flesh and blood, because you have flesh and blood, and you're his bride and you need to be redeemed, well, he partook of flesh and blood. That's kind of unique how this is put. Because the, the word used here for the word share in our English translation is the word from which you really derive the, the Greek word. It's always fun to talk about Greek words, right? You're like, I don't know what Greek is. But maybe you've heard the Greek word koinonia before. Koinonia, fellowship, community. The word here means common. The one thing that we all have in common, whether you live in Alto or I live in Hudsonville, or whether you make a lot of money or little money, or you're young or you're old, or your house is big or your house is small or whatever, the one thing that we all have in common is that we have flesh and blood. We all bleed. That's what we have in common. That's the idea here, the Greek, right? It's what what makes us this kind of community. We are flesh and blood. But Jesus, before the foundation of earth, was not flesh and blood. That's what he made us to have. That's not what he himself had. And say has, had, past tense. Because in the fullness of time, obviously, right, he comes to save us and was made ready to do that by becoming like us, by coming near to us, by taking on that nearness. And so the text says, this is what we share in common, but it's not common to him. He had to partake in it, and he partakes in it for your sake, not for his. Maybe we all had a little extra long power nap today because we had to spring forward this morning, right? It's a little bit extra lap today because we're tired. Jesus would have been napping right there with you because he was tired. Jesus was tired? He's the Son of God. Of course he's the Son of God, but he's the Son of Man. He was tired. He grew weak. He knew hunger. All these experiences that you and I know that are just kind of normal to our lives. It's just part of being human. He knew. Because you know. And so it's one thing to be next to someone, but he does the unthinkable. And he came into our mess. He didn't flee from the hotel death, but took up his residence. Didn't bug out because of the messiness of it all. And he didn't do that because he was made ready for a mission. That's our second idea, our second kind of filling out, fleshing out of this of this, uh, this sentence here. He was made ready for a mission, right? That there's a purpose to this limitation and, and to this weakness, and that was humiliation and devastation. We sometimes sing, you know, that he was born, born that he might die. 
And, and here our passage invites us to behold the mystery that the God of life takes on death. The God of life takes on death. Look at verse 14. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So in just a very simple passage, we go from cradle to cross. We go from birth to death. He was born to die. Like, well, why was he born to die? That didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. It's the mission. You go, well, what's the mission? The mission's twofold. He was born to die, cradled across, of course, to empty tomb, to bring devastation, first of all. Who has the power of death? Who is the prince of death? The devil, right? And so outside of Christ, death always wins. Outside of Christ, death is the ultimate wage of sin. Death is the echo of Satan's handiwork in the garden where he deceives Eve and got Adam, the crown of creation, to be declared dead by the God who gave him life. Death is Satan's tool to wreak havoc on earth. It's what man fears. It's what separates one person from another person. It, it's deceiving us into thinking this is just normal. We got death. We got taxes. This is life, right? But in the gospel, what we celebrate is that God has a weapon more powerful than death and the one who wields it, and that is Christ and the cross, the one who bore it. That there is a greater weapon than death. And it's Christ. And that cross does not just destroy the curse. It doesn't just conquer death. What do we read here? That through death he might destroy the one. Not the thing called death, but the one who wields the power of death. It's gone. The enemy's dead. Because of the power of the cross. We have the living hope to see that day in which this final ultimate victory is declared. And it's because of that devastation that we see the second part of the mission. So why does Christ come cradle to cross, to crown, devastation? Yes. Second of all, celebration. Look at what we read, verse 15. And deliver. To devastate the one who is our death. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And you think, because... I'm a Mid-America graduate that I would have gone with alliteration and just stuck with two Ds. Devastation, deliverance, two Ds, and I'm cool. I can keep my alumni status, right? But, but I went with celebration. 
not because I want to jeopardize my alumni status, but because I don't know how you talk about deliverance as just, you know, staring at your fingernails like, I've been delivered. I've, I've, been, I've, been, I've, I've, I've been saved. Like th- this passage is talking about fear of death people. It's talking about people, lifelong captives to slavery people. And the cross is, you're set free. The gospel is, there's now therefore no condemnation to all those who are in Christ Jesus. The gospel is, nothing separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you're looking at your shoes going, yeah, I've been, I've been saved. I guess I kind of got that deliverance. If you come to that and don't think that is worth celebrating, that's worth rejoicing in. Oh man, hard words, but I don't, I don't know if you know a whole lot about that deliverance. Who am I to judge? Fair enough. But if you know something about the sweetness of this deliverance, then you know that's why God gave us the word hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's why he gave us that. That's why he gave us two hands to lift and praise and adoration. Thank you, Lord, for this salvation and redemption. That's why he gives two lips and maybe a few teeth up front. We can shine the pearly whites every now and again because it puts a smile on your face. It puts a spring in your step. Amidst all of this world calamity and chaos, I've been loved, and I've been redeemed, and I've been saved. Thank God my hope is not this world. Thank God this hope is not rooted in this empire of dirt. Thank God he came in the mess and the misery and didn't go, I am out of here because I am too good for this place. But he stayed. He suffered because he was redeeming and loving you. As if to make this point painfully obvious, look at verse 16. It says, by the way, he didn't do this for angels. Now, I know that there's a bit of talk about angels in the previous section, and I get that, but, but I just think it's, it's great that the author here goes, oh, by the way, it's not angels that he helps. How do we use the word angel? Oh, she, little Susie, she's just such an angel, such a little angelic creature that you have living in your home. She's just so sweet. She's just so cute. Little angel. By the way, it's not angels that he helps. What does the text say? The offspring of Abraham. Like, ooh, okay, maybe not an angel, but at least we're offspring of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, right? I, I know the song. I'm, I'm, I'm the song. That, that's like, kind of get the barrel chest out there. Like, there you go. And then you go, yeah, but the offspring of Abraham is Jacob, Judah. We're the sons of promise. 
God has covenanted to love us. But not because of anything we've done. Because we are offspring of Abraham kind of people. We are sinners. And that salvation is by way of promise. And the word that God speaks, the promise that he makes, is the promise that he keeps. I can leave the mess of a hotel, but I cannot leave the mess of my life. The mess of this world, the mess of my heart. I can't. But I can be delivered. And that deliverance and that celebration and that deliverance is found in Jesus Christ, the one who sets us free. Because in the third place, we see that he was made ready for a mission of mercy. He was made ready for a mission of mercy. Look at verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Notice that the author uses here, not as this first word faithful, but the first word being merciful. I don't know if there's anything in that, but, but I do at least like that, because in a sense, what separates Jesus as our, as our high priest is not just that Jesus was faithful, right? because the other high priests, we're, we're faithful. We, we trust not all of them, but, but right, the majority of them, they're, they're faithful. They do their service before God. Right? They offer up the sacrifice on behalf of the people, but their service was, was limited because while the high priest might have been faithful, he could not in and of himself ultimately be merciful. He could be sympathetic, but that sympathy can only go so far because he himself was a sinner. But the idea here is that Jesus knows you. And in knowing you, in representing you, he is merciful. Like, yeah, I've heard this a thousand and one times. Pastor Reverend Jennison, not the most original guy in the world. Like, this is nothing profound here. Think about that. Jesus knows you. Right now, you might be sitting next to the person who knows you better than any other human being on the face of this earth. But you know that they don't fully know you. Even though they know you better than anyone else. They don't fully know you. You might even protect them from some of the things that are you. I would ever admit that that was what was going through my head. The person that's closest to me might not like that. I can only imagine what my wife was thinking about me when we showed up at the hotel, for example. She didn't tell me. Maybe it's better off that way. I kid. But Jesus knows you. That could be a scary thought, can it? He knows your every thought. He knows that random thing that's going through your brain. He knows the random look that you take. He, he, he knows it all. He knows your darkest darkness. And instead of saying, 
Not worth it. Not worth it. I will not die for them. I'm not going to cover them. I'm going to expose them. Look at what they think. Look at what they do. Look at what they say. Look at how they live. Look at the mess. And they're just like, like pigs just living in the mud, wrapping it up. Me for them? Instead of saying that, what we celebrate in the gospel is that Jesus is made ready for a mission of mercy. What he knows about us leads him to cover us. He meets us where we are, but does not leave us as we are. He covers us and absorbs for us the wrath of God that stands against us. Right? The idea of propitiation. He takes the weight for us that would otherwise crush us. That's the idea of mercy here. He's withholding it from us. But it's not ultimately withheld because it's poured out on him. It's born by him. Broken body. Shed blood. It's a mission of mercy. But that mission of mercy wasn't a one-time thing, right? Propitiation, one-time thing, cross, justification. But, but this mission of mercy continues because he who took our flesh continues to minister in that flesh. For you who will forever have flesh. Verse 18. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able, this ongoing action, to help those who are being tempted. You ever get in a spot where someone calls you and they're going through something and you've never gone through that before in your entire life? Maybe you know someone. You've never had cancer, but, but, but I know someone who had cancer. I know someone who had breast cancer. And, and I know that you got a lot of scary things going through your head right now. Anytime the big C word is used, we... It's very scary, very quick, and, and I don't know that, but, but I know someone who had breast cancer, and, 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 and they'll be able to help you. They can walk through this with you. They, they've been there. They've done this. I, I'm sure they'd be glad to talk with you. You've been there before, right? I don't know what to say, but, but I know someone who does. That's Jesus. Does he know what it's like to be isolated? Uh, yes. Does he know what it is to suffer? Yes. In ways that we cannot ever and will never begin to even imagine. He knows. And the invitation is to draw nearer, still nearer to him who has come near to us. I didn't read it. I, I didn't even speak on it. So let me just throw this out. It, it's my absolute most favorite text in, in all of Scripture. Um, it's verse 11. I didn't even read it. But I do want to at least make this comment. Look at verse 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all of one source. This is why he is not ashamed to call you his brother. He is not ashamed to call you his brother, his sister. He is not too good 
to come next to you. But in His goodness, He has saved you. And He's not ashamed of you. So everything that, that echoes up and wells up shame within us, covered. He's drawn near to you. And now you have the privilege of drawing near to Him. When you're afraid, when you're scared, when you're wounded, when you're weary, when you're happy, say thank you. Minister your grace to me and fill me with your love. Because man, this is a tough week and I need you. And that's why I want to sing that last song. To pray that we be near to our God who in His Son is so near to you even tonight. Let's draw near to him in prayer. Father God, we thank you for Jesus Christ and for the mission of mercy that he was made ready for.